When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Movies That Made Me is now a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. I had um, basically Alex just, I think, uh, did we tweet out? Somebody tweeted out about Alan Arkish's episode and Alex was the first person to click like. I went, Alex yeah. Winter. And then I found out Alex Winter follows me and I immediately sent him a message. <laughs> um, but I was, are, are you familiar with the show or was that just a... Oh, yeah, of course I am. Yeah. And I know Larry and I know Trailers from Hell. And Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you have a standing invite to... Invite to do trailers from hell anytime that you're uh, yes interested because we love yeah. to expand our reach. Um, Big fan of all that stuff. But now that you're a distinguished documentarian, it's not like having an actor on. You know, you're, now <laughs> no, you're filmmaker. I act together with the Zoom better though, right? <laughs> well, I did a terrible thing because uh, we're not supposed to talk about your work, and I won't. I won't waste our listeners' time with much of this. Don't worry. But um, uh, I had I had seen. Um, I guess we should. Yeah, sure. Our, our, our guest is Alex Winter, who, by the way, if you don't know, um, as a documentary maker or as, of course, um, uh, oh God, I was going to make some terrible joke where I, I was going to call him, you know, Abbott instead of Costello or some other <laughs> member of a famous comedy twosome, but I didn't prepare anything. But uh, uh, if you don't know, him, it's William S. Uh, Bill, Bill F. Preston, Esquire. He said mangling the joke. Um, there's a weird thing. And I do know this. You're kind of the, uh, uh, there's a weird sort of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing I've found in this town where anytime Alex's name comes up um, within the business, whoever you're talking to has had some wonderful experience with it. That's, I, well, you guys get it. You know, I've, I've been, I'm old. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not just that. It's like, you're actually a nice person by all accounts. Well, I've been I've been at it a long time, and uh, yeah, in the wrong business then. Yeah, I also had the good sense to get the hell out of the industry for a good chunk of time and just go live life. And I think that uh, that gave me a uh, a much uh, saner perspective on. I was the say, that's a weirdly healthy thing to have done. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I literally just this afternoon I was working. I write uh, part time with my friend John Brancato, great screenwriter, what the game and the other things and mentioned that we were doing this this afternoon. He's like, oh, he's wonderful. I, I was at, we were at a wedding. I followed him. Uh, the, I guess you both toasted some married couple at a wedding together a few <laughs> years ago. And I was like, Jesus, everyone knows this guy. I've never met him. Never yeah, met him. I have been, I've been around a lot. And uh, it was funny when I did my doc on, on kids in show business, because um, I was a show business kid. I started mm -hmm. especially very young. Uh, you, you, you know, everyone's siloed in the industry, right? In a way, you always think your experience is the only experience. And then I interviewed all these people from like, you know, Diane Carey was baby Peggy was a hundred when I interviewed her all the way to like Disney kids. 
and they all had gotten out. They'd all done exactly what I did at basically the same age. <laughs> And, yeah. and they'd all done really well by it. And I thought, oh, I guess so. It's a thing. It's a thing that you do. Right. Uh, I hadn't thought of it quite that way before. <laughs> That's so funny. But I, I um, so I had seen uh, Showbiz Kids and um, uh, the Panama Papers one. Uh, I had not, and I'll, I'll be completely wrong. I've just, I've never been, not like I dislike him, but I've never been a Zappa fan. Right. Um, but we always know, you know, everyone knows some Zappa fans. And I thought, oh, let me check this out. Cause like, I might as well, you know, try to be a completist. And we watched it the other night and, um, it's a great documentary. I mean, oh, it's a very you. great documentary. What's interesting to me is that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like it's made for hardcore Zappa fans. I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean in a good way. And it also doesn't seem like it's made to win you over to his music in any kind of forceful way. Cause it's Zappa. It's like, you're either going to click with this stuff or you're not. Yeah. So it's yeah. a great portrait and I'd always admired him and I came out of it admiring him even more. <clears throat> right. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the intent. I, I mean, a, I don't really make music docs. I'm not sure I would know how, um, I tend to focus on characters that I find interesting that have some intersection with, with society in a way, which is kind of, I think why I inadvertently chose this theme today, but, um, it, you know, and it's not self-reflective. It's just a theme that I find interesting, whether I'm doing it or other people are doing it, but uh, I just found Zappa such an interesting person in terms of his intersection with yeah. both artistically and his intersection with culture and politics and everything else. So that was what attracted me as well as the music. Yeah. I mean, I think it really clicked with me because you have clips of him saying this over decades is basically, um, no, I'm doing this for me. And if somebody else comes along and wants to pay me to listen to what I'm doing, that's great, but I'm going to be doing this anyway. And I thought that was so, <laughs> What does he say? I do. I don't do art for money. I do business for money. Yeah, yeah. It's um, not an artistic decision. That's a business decision. He's yeah, pretty, pretty ballsy. <laughs> yeah, it was just great. And then when he's doing the PMRC stuff, um, and and you know, talking about why other people aren't doing it, and he's like, because they have something to lose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, have you seen the doc, Joe? Or no, I haven't seen that one. Highly, highly recommended. Even if you're not, because I, I have found many times over the years that Frank Zappa's music just it it, it hurts my brain because it just I feel like there's got to be something wrong. You with probably me. saw two hundred motels too many times. I have seen two hundred <laughs> motels because part of me sometimes goes like I can't even tell this is music, I'm, I'm, and obviously it is because there are people who are smarter than me are sitting around going, "Oh fuck yeah, man!" Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a great true. doc. Yeah, it's a great doc, but. uh yeah, no, but I, I was I was psyched to find that uh, Alex uh, was out there and available and and grabbed him and dragged him in and and wanted to talk to him about whatever he wanted to talk about. You had a great theme. Why don't you tell Joe? Because Joe never knows. We never tell him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and uh, and I, I think uh, I would I would dare to say, given your uh, history, Joe, that you may like this stuff. Um, but I, I uh, chose uh, to look at films that were thematically about uh, being a cog in the machine. Uh, modern in, times <laughs> <laughs> a theme you have played with often uh yeah the individual and in my life as well well <laughs> real right you can't be a filmmaker and in, in, in this industry and not relate to this heavily uh the individual struggling to survive within the system was kind of the the i was trying to give myself you know brackets that were firm enough that it wouldn't in, in swallow the whole ocean um <laughs> And, uh, and obviously there's a lot of movies that do this. And I chose, I mean, I sort of selected a handful across time that were A, probably my favorite and B, um, I think some of the most influential uh, because there's a gazillion movies about this theme, obviously it's a very common theme in cinema. 
Yeah, well, let's let's do it. It's funny. I I had just a side note. Um, for before I got into the film business, I I was a terrible, I was a terrible cog in that in the 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 working machine, I guess. And I remember um, uh, working in a terrible job once, and my boss trying to explain to me why I should come in and work late, even though I wouldn't get paid overtime. <laughs> and and I remember sort of pointing out to him that wouldn't isn't that sort of like me just asking you to give me more money for no random reason? And uh, uh, he told me that um, this this place, this company, is a well-oiled machine. We are all cogs in it, and you are a bad cog. <laughs> and I still have a T-shirt around the house somewhere that says "bad cog." So on. I insulted you to get you to come in for free. <laughs> that was hardly an insult, man. I'm a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bad Thank cog. you so much. I was like, yeah, baby. Yeah, actually, my first name on AOL back in the day. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I, I had some. I had some jobs like that, sort of tele, really early era telemarketing or. Oh. Things like that that involve very cog-like behavior that prepared yeah. me for a life in the entertainment industry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's jump into it. I mean, Joe sort of jumped right to the to one of the first ones. You want to, should we talk about modern times or yeah, I don't know if you want to I was gonna ask you if you wanted to go in chronological order because I guess Metropolis comes first, but I'm happy oh, to go in any order any order you want. Any order you want. It's yes. your show. Okay, uh, let's start with Lang, um, because I think you, my guess is you have no modern times without Metropolis. Um, though, yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, for me, uh, you know, what I, my love of cinema started as a, as a really little kid, like a lot of people who make films. Uh, my, my mother taught at a university, and uh, rather than sticking me in front of a TV, they would leave me at the local theater on the campus, and they showed old movies all the time. And so... At like six, seven, eight, I became enraptured with Murnau and Lang and Chaplin and all of these, this era, which I look back on Todd Browning. Um, I might have been too young for some of this stuff, but it, it was really formative for me. And so Metropolis is one of the first movies I loved, as well as being sort of one of the earlier ones on this. And made in 1926, 27, golden age of, of, of Germany before the shit hit the fan. Okay. Uh, Weimar Republic before it became Hitler's and a lot of art, a lot of expression. Um, and what's interesting is this film is so incredibly anti-establishment <laughs> and got, you know, it got accused of being communist and uh, it's very, it's extremely prescient in terms of technology, where technology would go and, you know, avatars is like a kind of an avatar in it in a way. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I just love the film and, and, uh, I don't even know how well it did when it came out. Cause it's kind of a, a weird, rare bird. Um, but it's a great, I never thought great about movie. that. I, you know, I just don't think of like, that's why you don't think of German movies from the twenties by, well, it was sort of by Paramount here. So it, it, got, it, it played, was it? it played some places. Yeah. Although, you know, there are varying lengths of versions of, yeah. you know, they keep finding things in Czechoslovakia and stuff and <laughs> put that back in. Um, what's interesting about an interesting thing about that movie is that when H.G. Wells wanted to make his Shape of Things to Come movie, which he was very had his hand very heavily in, uh, his big uh, admonishment was it can't be anything like Metropolis, because he mm. he took an, an exception to the whole the whole setup of Metropolis and. It, he was much oh, more okay. he, he was much more of uh, this is this is an establishment we're going to tell the story of the establishment in the future hmm. <laughs> i didn't know that the the um i'm, I'm still sort of boggled because like when you say you know as a kid chaplain i was like yeah that that 
grabbed me. And I understand that on a visceral level, why as a child, that kind of thing or Keaton, but I'm, I'm really impressed at like seven or eight, you're seeing Lang and Murdoch films. And I mean, I, I don't know how impressive it is. It wasn't as if I was such a cineast that I, you know, that I said, mommy, please. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I mean, you are reading <laughs> sight and sound at that. Point. Yeah, but it's got rocket ships and it's got robots. Yeah. It's got yeah, the future. No, I mean, it's, it's a very cool. Yeah. And, and I love that stuff. And I love, you know, I would go on love Hitchcock and Fred Astaire. Like this is the kind of stuff they were showing. Right. Um, but I was, of course, I was also watching, you know, crap on TV all day long as a, as a regular kid. But it was, these were films that really had a big impression on me. And, and the sort of the, uh, the expressionistic style of cinema in Germany at that time was really evocative um, and not really being not visible anywhere else. So it felt so it felt really wondrous and rarefied. Um, but the film is, you know, to Joe's point, it is pretty subversive. Uh, I mean, you know, it's Germany and and it's not like Lang was a communist and certainly he wrote it with his wife who ended up, I mean, I don't want to call her a Nazi, but she was not a, a communist. She was the opposite of a communist. Um, so it's an interesting film that I think looks, it's, it takes from, I think, you know, obviously from Faust and other, other kind of other mythology and other stories that precede it. Uh, but I think it does it in a very, very prescient modern way. Um, and, uh, uh, and they spent a fortune on it. It was an expensive movie. They, they really were given a lot of free reign to make something grand. Yeah. yeah. He's also one of those guys who never gets, I don't think, even, even when people sort of give him reverence, he never seems to quite get the, the proper do i mean I, again as a kid i was sort of very aware even having not seen all the you know you knew kurosawa you know hitchcock you knew Truffaut, you know godard etc cetera, etc cetera. I, mean, I, I feel like lang is absolutely 100 in in that pantheon should be um, oh yeah you look at m i mean m is m is really one of the 10 best movies ever made in my opinion i mean it's it is a absolute crackerjack masterpiece i think it's yeah. so it's one of those movies that's so influential i think a lot of people don't even know they're being influenced by it because mm -hmm. it's just passed along you know, movie by movie, story by story. Um, but uh, I almost chose M, but it's not, it really doesn't fit into this theme so well, but Metropolis is obviously. Although he is a particularly bad cog, I guess. If you're, yeah, he, he was. It's a pretty bad machine, he's a cog. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> what, what is the name of the, oh my God, I'm blanking. I wish I, I should, because uh, the other thing about M too is that like, it's so good that every time they remake it, it's good. Um, well, the, the I mean, 1950 remake uh, that Joe Losey did is actually very good. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it was lost for many years because of a, it had the same producer as the original film. And there was a, a big rights issue. So it, it was like not on television. And, you know, and also it's not a child molester. So it's not that easy to sell that kind of thing. Uh, there's also there's a Venezuelan remake. Um, and the yeah. title is terrible. It's escaping me that, that uh, showed at the American Cinematheque a few years ago. They just saw us coming out on Blu-ray later this year, huh. which is also amazing. Um, which, uh, yeah, there's something about that movie and its themes and ideas that kind of resonates in different cultures, but. Yeah. And funnily enough, as, as grim as this film is in many ways, it's, it's probably of all the films I chose inadvertently, it's got the happiest ending, or at least probably, the end yeah. that makes you feel like there's some hope, um, even though it's fanciful and somewhat fairy tale. Um, and a lot of the other stuff around that time, you know, did feel, I mean, I guess the last laugh and thinking of other films that sort mm. of looked at mm. kind of thing at that time, um, that were pretty grim. I mean, and that's what I like about movies like this when they do it is, you know, he saw in a way where Germany was going before Germany saw where it was going and, mm. and, 
and then beyond that into where sort of technology and the relationship between and what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to have a psyche there's so much in there that's that's prescient yeah 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 no it's it's great um and i guess it now exists in the longest version ever yeah is that true yeah they find they all all little missing bits and pieces have been sort of restored i mean some of them are from i think from venezuela and it was a 16 millimeter print and it's very scratchy so you, you can certainly tell when they put that stuff in yeah. but um it's just one of those movies that when you watch the pieces that are missing and sometimes the shots are only a couple of seconds long and and that over the years people just started pulling at it and put, taking this out and taking that out and the angel and well, it's almost like some exhibitor said well make it shorter we could run it more often um mm. but it's uh, when i think we have a, a pretty pretty good idea of what it what it was like at the time and there are a whole number of very good scores uh that have come in with the the, the alloy orchestra score which i heard at Teddy ride live yeah. is one of the best was that the one that Maroder scored as well? No, Maroder did the Maroder did the uh, the colorized version that was released, I think, in the eighties. Right, I think I saw that in New York, like at Radio City or something. It sounds seems vaguely familiar. Yeah. That was kind of interesting. I mean, it's probably not the optimal way to see the film, but I remember it being pretty pretty cool. Yeah, eighties <laughs> experiment, weird eighties experiment. Ghost frowning. Are you? Not nah, colorization doesn't doesn't. Oh well, yeah. Oh yeah, so I don't it even, doesn't float my boat. <laughs> although no, it's gotten much it tells better. you something. I have I have no visual memory of it at all. Like I didn't like it doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not it's not the best version of the film to see. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, cool. Well, yeah. So so do you want to we segue into? Sure. Yeah. So that uh, modern times, Chaplin, nineteen thirty six. It's it's uh, obviously the world is a very different place by thirty six. Um, it hasn't cruised into full war, but but uh, there's depression. There's a lot of the things that are being warned about by Lang are, are at a time when things were heady, have now come to fruition. And it's the little tramp is the biggest star in the world by an order of magnitude, like un, almost unfathomably famous to today's audience. I try to explain to my kids sometime how how big Chaplin was. It's kind of hard to grapple with. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a silent movie in the era of sound pictures, which was controversial. It's the first time you ever heard him on screen. Uh, it's an unbelievably, I mean, I chose a couple of comedies, this in Brazil, I almost went from just straight up Python, but, you know, comedy is a great way of looking at the cog in the machine. I mean, I, you know, not to to ear horn here, Joe, but if you look at like gremlins, there's, there's ways of coming at these stories that are really um, powerful, uh, that don't have to just clobber you over the head with with something depressing, like most of the other films I have on this list. So, um, <laughs> Modern Times is very, very funny at the end of the day, though it is about a literal cog in a literal machine. Um, and it has the very famous sequence of him literally being caught in the cogs of a giant machine. Um, it also uh, has allusions to communism that got him in some trouble. It also, even though it's, I think, a non-political film to a degree, uh, it gets into kind of un the idea of unions um, and the need for the workers to have rights. Um, it also predicts some pretty significant things just in terms of where the world was going, predicting in some ways this kind of gig economy we find ourselves now where mm. it's kind of almost blasphemous to suggest that the worker should have rights. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's, that's true. It's funny because, yeah, the, the scene where it's overtly about communists, per se, is, is so innocent. Yeah, um, it's it's not even he just picks up a flag and doesn't realize what he's doing. So it's, yeah, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, he's but, a fool. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it almost it almost serves to kind of distract you from the fact that so much of the rest of it is so overt. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 Uh, no, that that was I think that was like my first, certainly my first feature length Chaplin, if not my first Chaplin ever, because um, I must have seen that twenty thousand times when I was a kid. And, I went back and watched it again before we did this. I'd watched City Lights again recently, um, which is so great. And I just for, I forgot how un like how unrelentingly hilarious this movie is. I mean, it is like a Mel Brooks movie. It just does not you don't stop laughing considering how grim the storyline yeah. is, really from beginning to end. I mean, that the the singing sequence he does, the one that sound, is just one of the most genius moments I think in comedy cinema ever. Yeah. But also the context of that helps too, that it was like, you're finally going to hear him. And then when you do hear him, it's gibberish. Right. It's unintelligible <laughs> and nonsensical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, amazing, amazing film. But that ends happily. I mean, they, they end up going off together. Yeah. I think that that movie though has a, I mean, like all Chaplin happy endings, it has a kind of yes, sort of ambiguous, where are they going to end up sort of thing? Yeah. You know, the kind of the thing Boonwell played with it eventually with the people walking down the road and, I think it's in discreet charm. Um, yeah. But it's this whole idea of, cause, cause you know, city lights is also, you know, it warms the heart, but it, it you don't know where these guys, you don't know what the next scene's going to be. Right. right. Like, and it could be knowing his world. It could be anything. There could be a, a safe that's going to drop or, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not like, you know, they, he doesn't get a shot roller skating accident. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But you know, is it that, that what what more can you hope for? Except that right now we're okay and we're on the road yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. I think that is. Yeah, I think that was Chaplin's idea of of serenity too. You know, given the the uh, given his upbringing and the kind of Dickensian yeah. world that they were yeah. out of. Um, so yes, yeah. cool, great, great one, great one. What's what's next? Okay, now we we sort of cruise into. <laughs> Couple of pretty dark movies that that I mean this well, Salvi Dado's maybe if it's not my mm. very favorite film, it's certainly one of my top favorite films of all time. I watch it all the time and I love it so much. And uh it's Boonwell in his Mexican period. Yeah. Um it's nineteen fifty. Uh, you know, it was a period that was for him was quite challenging financially. Uh it was a, a transitional period in, in global culture. Uh, post-war, obviously, but a lot of depression, a lot of uh, poverty. And this, to me, like, you know, I chose it because, to me, poverty is kind of the system. And the, and the poor are the cogs within a, a kind of an unescape, an inescapable system of, of poverty that's been designed in a way to keep that faction of society poor. Um, but it's great because, uh, you know, you had surrealists by now. You had Cocteau and you had the sort of whole art movement of surrealism itself. But it's it's a social realist movie that's that's that collides with surrealism and it shouldn't have worked and it does so well. And so I think it's a very influential film, though. I also think that it's a film that people don't often realize they're being influenced by because its tone is so well played. And it, mm. it's a movie that shouldn't work that works is, is why I like it so much. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a very slice of life, too. It just feels like you're in a place and time that that feels real somehow, even if it doesn't connect to any it's not reality. frequently revived however uh it's not i don't it's, it's not as well known as some of the later things that he did not at all no i don't think it's as palatable and it's not as sort of like you know it's not as genteel <laughs> well it's not it's not it's not an entertainment movie 
it really I mean, and, and it's it's yeah. not a it's not a didactic preaching movie either but it's a slice of life as you say and uh and it it's um it's 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 pretty bleak it's pretty bleak and and he got in trouble for it and i mean it's almost like oliver twist if it had a more realistic ending and uh so it's kind of like it's what Boonwell likes like give me dickens and i'll show you what the world actually is like yeah um but I, I love it because there's, you know, I, it's not like I'm just drawn to bleak cinema because I'm often really not actually. But the thing about surrealism is, is there's sort of beauty and whimsy in it. That is because Bunuel was a pretty whimsical person underneath all of it. And the dream sequences are so gorgeous and so evocative. And while they are dark, they just have they have a kind of Bunuelian whimsy that, that keeps it from being unendurable like some movies about poverty are just pure stripe slice of life even some dardan brothers movies where you just they're great but you want to throw yourself out of a building by the end <laughs> yeah well there, there seems to be that acknowledgement i mean i i never quite trust anyone who creates art that is 100 bleak and hopeless because if you yeah. actually if that were your natural state you wouldn't get out of bed yeah and then and then you watch films like that you just think that person needs to be on medication yeah <laughs> If you just have you're you're suffering from depression, okay, fair enough. But maybe you should get some help. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think there were films around this era, um, like the naked, like some Sam Fuller, you know, Shot Quarter, Naked Kiss. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, uh, I would argue that like the New German Expressionists were really influenced by by this work and and some of Bunuel's work at this time, like early Herzog, that Stroshek and. Uh, even doors started small. There's movies of his that I that I feel really connected with this, um, and some of that same kind of bleakness by way of whimsy tone grew out of this. I think. Mm. Yeah, that'll be interesting. To have, uh, he is he is uh, um, uh, not not that you weren't either, but he's 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 in my mind at least like that. That would be the dream get would be Herzog someday and get it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, uh, but you'd have to set like ten hours aside. Exactly. And I actually, I hear, I hear his, um, uh, he's a huge Fred Astaire fan. So. Oh, that's good. That would be, maybe we just talk about his favorite, favorite Fred Astaire movies, but yeah, not you know, here. Funny, <laughs> gosh, that was almost where I went. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, went, I almost went with a, with, with a stare. Um, cause that was my, you know, I was a tap dancer as a kid and that was like my love, but it felt a little, I, I would not do it the depth of service that Herzog would. I would just be, I'd be like a, an annoying showbiz, you know, Broadway kid. About. You come back and do that next time. And then, and of course, he's also been known to make a documentary or two. He's very good. Yeah. Some yes. of the, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps we're finding more commonalities here than we thought. <laughs> Have you ever pulled a gun on an actor on? Uh... Uh, no, but I had a gun pulled on me. We made an NYU student film once we shot in, in like uh, uh, Jones, Great Jones Alley, uh, like in the early eighties when it, when the New York, you know, pre Giuliani, New York, when, when it was really more fun, but also a lot more dangerous. And, and we had a fake cop pull a gun on me and like four rookies pulled up on us, drew their guns and almost shot us. Wow. They just weren't stopping to think. Um, <laughs> and that was the last time I played with guns on a movie set. Cause I realized I did not have the, the stomach for it. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it was actually good. Good God. Yeah. Uh, well, what's, what's next? Alex? Okay. So next is, is a film that I do think for all this bleakness has a lot of hope, which is, uh, Ikiru, uh, the mm. 1952 Kurosawa, which I think, you know, to, to Joe's point about revivals, I think lately, uh, this has been a favorite of mine since the, you know, since I was young. Um, and lately it's really come you know, unto its own. Uh, and you hear it mentioned all the time now. Um, 
and you really didn't for a very long time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really very much about being a cog in the machine, about, be, about bureaucracy and sort of wasting your life. And the, the main character is stuck in an office and, you know, his, his kid doesn't really care about him and his wife is gone. It's almost like that movie Up, the Pixar movie, um, if it was very, you know, written by Dostoevsky. You know? <laughs> um, so it's, it's, yeah, because it's not like, you know, he's, he's miserable and uh, he finds out. It doesn't out end well, folks. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> he decides to do something good before his death. Uh, and he sort of goes on this sort of dreamlike quest to find himself before his death. It's a really lyrical, beautiful film. Uh, very influential. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's inspired a lot. He claimed, Kurosawa claimed that it was heavily influenced by, by Tolstoy, by the death of Ivan Ilyich, which I get it, um, mm. but I really see Dostoevsky in here. And I knew how much he loved Dostoevsky. And there's a lot of the idiot in this, and there's a, which he eventually made, I'd say, very poorly, unfortunately. Um, but there's a lot of, of sort of allusions to other, even some Raskolnikov. There's like, there's stuff in here from Dostoevsky, I think, and just that, that era of like trying to find your way in a society that you're at odds with but notes from underground that's the other one right and and um Akira's being remade or has been remade you know this there's a there's a bill nye film coming out soon called living which is an, an actual official remake of oh yeah you're right you know i read about that did it did it come out has it, it out? come out yet i don't think it's come out yet and because oh, okay. the original title translates as to live uh, right right yeah, and it's a you know my one of my favorite filmmakers is is Mitsuguchi, and I almost put Life of a Haru on here, which is one of my favorite movies. But Ikaru is like the Japanese cog in the machine movie, I think, um, other than Tetsuo. But uh, <laughs> 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 it's an animal, literally, the yes. <laughs> the Life of a Haru is the same year. It's kind of a, a sister movie to this. I feel like about a prostitute trying to to to. Un, unshackle herself from the the stigma of that um, that life and being unable to in that society. So it's, both those movies are really really beautiful. Uh, I've not seen that one. I'm, I'm That's great. Going on the list. What's next? Okay, Alphaville. Um, uh, you know, in honor of Goddard, uh, recently yes. had, um, this movie came out the year of my birth, nineteen sixty five. Uh, it is. You know, we know uh, Goddard had Fritz Lang in, in uh, contempt, and we know he loved Fritz Lang. This is to me has a lot of similarities to to Metropolis in, in an abstract kind of way. Uh, let me caution, you know, Gumshoe dealing with a dystopian society set in the future, but looks exactly like the '60s with absolutely yeah. zero attempt to futurize it. Which I think I would hate. I mean, I'd be curious to know Joe's opinion on this, but it feels like Kubrick kind of cribbed that idea for for clockwork of just like making art direction that's just based on only on the culture that you're in and not attempting to futurize it. But uh, it's very, very prescient. Uh, it's about a, it's about a dystopian fascistic computer society that's anti-journalism, anti-art, and uh, run by a computer called Alpha 60 that Lemmy has to eventually go to war with. Um, and it's got a lot of whimsy, a lot of humor. It's, it's got art. It's, it's kind of an S, almost an essay movie or an abstract movie, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, it has a lot to say about what man and technology are going to do together that won't be so great for society, which is very much where we find ourselves today. You know, L Lemmy Caution was, uh, you know, a, a quite a popular character uh, as played by Eddie Constantine. And there were numerous 
uh, let me caution pictures. Uh, and, and this, of course, is the only one directed by, by Godard. And it's 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 a it's a little bit like um, if um, Tarkovsky decided to make a Matt Helm movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the, the 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 combination of elements are just so unusual uh, that that's that really made the movie stand out because it's it's an art movie, it's a science fiction movie, it's right. a it's a, a detective movie. I mean, it's got all those things, and it's 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 in gorgeous black and white, and there's lots and lots of um, Harris looking creepy, you know, I mean, it was, it's, it's, it's not art directed or anything to look creepy. It's just the locations are creepy. Yeah. And it feels, I, again, I, I could be, you know, this is just pure speculation and may not be based in reality at all, but the only other movie around that time that I feel it, um, if not borrows from certainly seems influenced by is Marker's La Jetée. Mm -hmm. um, you know, also dystopian, you know, eventually inspired Gilliam's 12 monkeys, uh, some you know black and white and a very different formally a very different movie in the or or well, it's all stills except for yeah all photo shot. essay whatever <laughs> collage yeah. yeah um but uh but there in a way there's nothing like this and Truffaut made I guess he made Fahrenheit 451 the following year um I much prefer this to Fahrenheit I mean I love Truffaut yeah. who doesn't but I, I prefer this as a movie to Fahrenheit I I should not Fahrenheit's got a better score. I know there. Are, I know. I know there are other. Let me caution films. I should know this, and I don't. So I'll ask the stupid question: Was this was not the first? No, he was an established character before. Uh, so this would be like David Lynch stepping in and doing a James Bond film. Yeah, like in the middle of the series. That's wild. Which, by the way, I would you know be all over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure he'd blow his brains out before he did. If he mentioned you know David Lynch doing a Marvel film, that would be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but and also Joe's right. Like it's 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 weirder in that in that Goddard was just so. I mean, it's like Tarkovsky is a good example just because he was so. Even though he was obviously heavily influenced by American culture and by American literature, he was so critical, mm -hmm. <laughs> hypercritical of the aesthetic, and he does a really good job of sort of of, of mashing it all together and not making it uh, too self serious, which he obviously would do sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's one of the ones I I have a hard time with. You know, I'm a, I'm just a slave to narrative. I think, or else film. I, I love films that just completely let go of it, which he doesn't. So it's it's one of the Godard films I actually really like. Um, a lot of his yeah. films drive me nuts because yeah, agreed. He yeah. doesn't care about my beloved story. How well, he has he has different periods, you know, that he goes through, and uh, the later period is the more difficult. Yeah, yeah, they're really essay movies. I feel like I mean yeah. they're. Yeah. They're, you know, they're interesting, but they're like almost just like essays with visuals. Yeah. I did. I saw his 3D movie in a theater, and then it's clear that part of it was um, meant to give you a headache, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> That'll fix someone. <laughs> it's like it's not lined up properly. That's intentional. <laughs> Damn you, Guitar. You've got me again. Anti stereo. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Before our conversation with Alex Winter gets too dark, we would like to pause a minute to thank our sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com. They're the movie collector's website. They're not only huge fans of our show, but they feature many, if not all of the movies we discuss here, so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Let's be clear, if you can't find them here, it's because they don't exist. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, it's yours. 
you're not going to like turn on your TV and get that spinning ball or find out that, that somebody yanked it because of some licensing issue. It's still in your library. So you can watch what you want when you want. There's usually tons of great content, bonus features, director's commentary, deleted scenes, all kinds of goodness. So hop on over to our website and click on the moviesunlimited.com banner or go to moviesunlimited.com and click on their movies that made me banner because they'll take you to a page for every episode where every movie that's come up is linked and you can click on it and you can buy it it's amazing it's so easy it's ridiculous so own the titles you love enjoy all the bonus features you just don't get anywhere else so go to moviesunlimited.com where shipping is always free on orders over 50 dollars. want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Now we're back. Alex, where are we going now? Okay. Now we're going to, to Great Britain. Uh, we're going to Clockwork Orange, 1971, yes. just years after uh, Alphaville, which I do feel has a huge influence on this, uh, eventually what would you know become uh, 2001. Uh, there's a lot of similarities in between Alphaville and 2001, uh, st- sort of structurally even, but that's not this movie. This movie is uh, the based on the Anthony Burgess novel of the same name, which uh, Kubrick adapted himself. And uh, it is it's also one of my favorite movies. It's my favorite Kubrick movie. Um, it wow. is it, it is it's Kubrick's philosophy and aesthetic on all cylinders, whether you like him or not. Whatever. There's nowhere to hide. You can't hide in beautiful images. You can't hide in the slit scan. It's just like, here we go. The guy's got a camera. He's running around brutalist architecture in England, and he's it's in your face. Um, I also you have to you have to wear a fur coat when you watch it. You do. It's so you have to wear cold. It. Yeah, it's very swinging <laughs> '60s London, which is also great. Um, he makes he got in some criticism for it, but I think it's part of his his shtick. It's like he's not making any attempt to pretend it's not that period, even though it's not set in that period. It's set in the future. Uh, it's very brutal. Um, it's a very intense look at the autocracy from the inside. In a way, it's looking at the machine and how the machine works. Because um, you could argue that the cog in the machine is not actually Alex, the McDowell character, but his, but the victims uh, of Alex and the Droogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, to a degree, you know, the poverty that he comes up in that kind of makes him. But Kubrick is not one to make the easy statements like, oh, he's only formed by these trappings and you know, that's the whole point of the film is that this experiment done by the more socialist components of society is going to fail um, and have no reform effect on this guy whatsoever because he's hardwired to be a fascist (laughs) and 
Um, so that's one of the things about Tubi I think is so daring. That I, you love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that elicits such affection in you. <laughs> I wonder how much of his casting was uh, based on the idea that McDonald had been an if before that. Had to be. And that's such a great movie. I, I love I love Lindsay Anderson. I love If. Yeah. I love Hospital, Britannia Hospital. Um, yeah, it had to be. I mean, I, I read, you know, I've read interviews over where we talked about he was looking for a genius and he thought McDowell was a genius and where the hell else would he have seen him? But in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I want to, so did you, um, cause I imagine you did not, uh, see Clockwork Orange in theaters as a child when it came out. No, I saw Clockwork Orange at the, at Washington university, um, where my mom taught dance and it was a very controversial, popular film on campus. Um, as I'm sure you, you guys remember, it was a very controversial film. It was rated X. My induction to Clockwork Orange was the Mad Magazine parody of a yes. Clockwork Orange. Because I was a <laughs> yes, yes. Fanatic. Um, and that piqued my interest. And as Clockwork Lemon, I think, right? And <laughs> yes. Um, and then I saw it on on the WashU campus as a kid. Um, but not I wasn't super young by then, but uh, but you know, I didn't see it in 71. I saw it several years later but um but it had a big impact on me then but I, I didn't really get it until i was older and i went back to it um you know as a young adult after reading the burgess um which has a very happy end well his the english version is a very happy ending which which kubrick didn't use um and uh and it's you know it's a great book but i prefer the movie is just it's amazing it's and it's like as a filmmaker i think part of my admiration for it is just how much he does with how little like it's, you know, it's like a, it is a true independent film. It is this crew is so stripped down. The lighting is so simple. The shots are so you just imagine him behind a camera with a 16 mil lens on half the time and not much else. Like, I'm not sure how much else you would need. Mm -hmm. It's a teeny weeny movie with this sort of epic thing going on. And I, and I admire that as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, I'm, it's probably going to get harder to see as time goes on. I suspect. Well, he took it out of circulation for a while. Yeah, but I just mean now. I don't. I don't. You know, I bet you know. Twenty years from now, you're not going to hear a lot of people talking about how they saw it at college, for instance. Yeah, you, know, you get in trouble now for uh, uh, showing stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it did cause a lot of problems in England. There was it did incite violence, and and uh, you know, they, I had I'm from England, and I had friends in England who ran like repertory houses, and they would show secret copies of it at like two o'clock in the morning and things like that. I don't think it's particularly subversive because it's pretty cheeky. It's just it's just it's very has a very grim view of. of I think it's viewed as nihilistic. It is. Yes, yeah. it has a very grim yeah. view of society. It does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's interesting. I've, I've never heard it's, it's their favorite uh, Kubrick film, but but you're right. I mean, it certainly is pure. Well, anything with Patrick McGee is always okay. He is yes. great. McDowell's oh, so great. And the lens they shoot him with too. I mean, that's whenever I think yeah. of him, that's what I go to. Is that weird? Oh shot. my god! Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, I love uh, Strange Love too. I mean, those are my two favorite. But I I veer towards the kind of hyper, almost just straight comedic or black comic with him. Yeah. It's funny because yeah, there's so many Cooper films that get in trouble for saying I, I really love Lolita, which is probably something you shouldn't say either. But yeah, uh, <laughs> he's coming for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something like the the just sellers uh, on that porch doing his Stanley Kubrick impression. It's amazing. It's just yeah. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It the is. Funniest creepy things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's yeah. amazing the it. stuff they got away with. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. But what's, uh, what is next? Now we're moving into like young Alex. What is next? <laughs> <laughs> a film that's, that's, that, uh, is, is, you know, also not that easy to find anymore. Uh, it's Lena Wertmuller who just passed recently her film, seven beauties. Mm. I chose it because in that sort of, uh, the, the, the primary character is kind of a cog within the system of war and fascism, um, in a way, uh, it's sort of the opposite of Life is Beautiful. Um, it's a film about someone going into a concentration camp, but not morally uh, unimpeachable and, and and not finding beauty within the, the pain um, and also making some terrible decisions and getting swept up in the machine and becoming uh, sort of part of the fabric of that system, uh, which is one of the things I think is so interesting about the film. It's also beautifully made. Performances are amazing. Uh, it's incredibly well shot. It's also an interesting combination of sort of stylistically retrospective, almost like uh, uh, like Va like a von Stroheim film or something, and then very modern and feeling very kind of hip and edgy and of the moment, like a Fellini movie or something, um, or a Costa Gavras movie. Uh, so I think Wertmuller really made this interesting hybrid of styles that happens to work. I always like it when directors pull that off. It's not easy to do. Um, and, uh, and I think that's why the film has, has stuck with me as well as having the, the main character is a complete imbecile in many ways and just keeps fucking up. Um, and it's very interesting to put him in such a high stakes scenario as a, as a concentration, as a, as a prisoner of war, basically. Yeah. Interesting. I, I somehow, I, I, she's one of those filmmakers I always go back to and try to, something about her stuff always puts me off in a way that makes me feel like it's me and I need to keep trying. And uh... I mean, there is something slightly <laughs> repellent about, about, I know what you mean. I kind of, I wonder sometimes with her, whether it wasn't intentional, not to say that's a good thing for, for an artist to do, to try to, right. be, if, if that's what you want to do, it's Solo. awesome. <laughs> I've tried to watch Solo 15 times. I've never yeah. read the movie. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I do think there's there is beauty in this film and there's there's purpose and there's like trying to look at life and how we end up, you know, she was, you know, coming out of Italians sort of dalliance with fascism and sort of the continued attempts to return to it. And I think yes, it's even even as we speak, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think it has a lot of merit in that in that regard. Um, yeah, no, she's a powerful filmmaker, and yeah, just, um, you know, I go see Swept Away, I go see that. I'm like, oh, maybe next time. I don't love Swept Away. I don't love Swept Away. It's not my thing at all. Yeah, I've never liked that movie very much. I, I maybe I'll find it, I'll get it one day, but I don't. I, I don't. I'm not even sure I've made it all the way through the few times I've tried to watch it. I'm bad that way. If I don't click with the movie, I stop watching it. That <laughs> makes sense. It's my yeah. favorite Madonna performance. It may be, yeah. Not having seen it, um, I did uh, actually see the remake in theater. I did not. No. I am. It had. A, I remember reading that it had, I think a fifteen thousand dollars opening weekend and realizing that, like, wow, if I hadn't gone, that number would have been. <laughs> <laughs> they were calling it schlepped away. <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. Uh, I, I honestly, it didn't bother me significantly more than the original, though. So that's right. That's uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not anyway, anyway. Yes. Okay. So now onto a movie that everybody loves and everybody knows, and everyone is so fixated on seventies American movies, which is why I chose as few of them as possible. <laughs> um, uh, this is Lumet's and Chayefsky's network, uh, yes. 1976. Um, uh, just a year after seven beauties and, uh, obviously post Watergate, uh, a lot of crap going on in the world and in the U S and, you know, uh, 
was, you know, end of Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but another movie that you can always, it is, it is extremely, extremely well written. That is, it is, it is a valid, uh, revered script though. I would argue, I also love the hospital. I love that movie. I love George C. Yeah. Scott. I love the script. I love the movie. Um, and I often will go back to hospital as much as, if not more than network sometimes, but it seems uh, a little rambling. It's like he's ramping up to to network, but it is there's something about it's a little lighter, a little. I don't come out of hospital as awful as what's it's describing. I don't come out of hospital with quite as much despair. Yeah, this is pretty. <laughs> this is pretty dark, and it's a very despairing view of society. And again, it's a cog in the machine who's either going to shoot himself or jump out a window or have a nervous breakdown on camera. And it was it was influenced by. Uh, that um, that anch- news anchor, yeah, the one that the uh, the uh, woman who uh, she killed herself on camera. Yeah, and Robert Greene made a great uh, movie about that called Kate Plays Christine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there was another a narrative version. Oh, did, did that predate? I thought that was later. Interesting. Um, no, it was. Early I mean, before, I know the movie. Apparently, oh. I mean, yeah, and that's what I had read. Unless it was inaccurate that he had yeah. read that story and it had kind of sparked him to have an anchor, have a have a melt yeah. on on. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, look, it's an extremely, it's very, very hard to criticize the entertainment industry. Well, it's been done badly a lot. I almost put SOB on this list cause I love it so much. Um, uh, but it's so, but it's much more cartoony than that. It is. And it's like, and it's also one of those, I don't know if this happened to you guys or if you hate the movie, but one of those movies I recommend to people that they always hate. So I stopped recommending SOB to people. Um, I decided I have an anachronistic affection for it that other people don't seem to share. Um, but well, I like I like SOB, but I also I think that Network owes a little bit to a face in the crowd. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I never really thought of it that way, but I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, it's like a face in the crowd, sweet smell of success. Like there's a those are yeah, mm-hmm. they're all they're all really cookies full of arsenic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really true. I think it's, 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 it's just dripping cynicism is, is, and the idea of, of how malleable the crowd is. Uh, and so much now has been written about how network preceded the, the culture we live in and the Trump era. I mean, I, it would be almost boring to go into it, but you know, I would also say that what's interesting about this movie in terms of the time it came out is its relationship to the sort of paranoid American movie like Parallax View coming coming mm-hmm. out, of but other films of that kind around that time where there's kind of an acid trippy movie in that way. He goes Holden goes into this weird because it's really his movie in a way, and he goes into this weird dream where you know Norman and Diane, like all the other characters, are these sort of larger than life caricatures, and he's very grounded. He's just going through a divorce, and he's just like an everyman. And the world around them is completely batshit. Um, and that's one of the things I do like about the film is that it isn't straight up, you know, uh, uh, surrealism or like just, you know, hyper reality. You have a very grounded real guy who's in this insane scenario. And there's so much great satire on it. I mean, the whole thing with the, uh, the, the, the Black Liberation Network or whatever, whatever uh, the group is, you know. Yeah. Is, is is really funny and and the the scene in which the executives all coldly decide to kill uh <laughs> their anchor it is it's it's just played as if they're talking about you know where are we going to go for dinner but i mean this sounds really like a cliche complaint but like all three of us have been in notes meetings like that of you course know? of yeah. course you <laughs> recognize those people everywhere 
Absolutely. <laughs> um, I'll say I had a really interesting experience. I kind of begin to synopsize it uh, about a year ago. There's a podcast called Champagne Sharks, and um, our friend Matt Christman, who's been on the show, and I, he, he does a um, the guy who runs a show does a thing called uh, the White Cannon, and it's a, he's a he's a black leftist, and every now and then they'll they'll bring on two white guys. And then uh, he had a uh, great sort of um, this this uh, uh, black leftist professor and a young black woman, um, and we all watched Network. Uh, Matt and I, having seen it three thousand times, the young woman having never even heard of it, and it's basically he brings on people like us to defend movies that are in what he calls the white canon. <laughs> there are parts of America where you go talk about Network and people are like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's a really interesting conversation because. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you walk away kind of loving the things. You know, I I, st I still love it. They had some really trenchant barbs. Of, if I think top of it was that Chayefsky clearly romanticizes a time in network news that was pretty bad to begin yeah. with. <laughs> but yeah. but beyond that, um, yeah, I and, think you could argue that. I think anyone who makes really you really tart satires of of I mean, you could argue that about Sorkin and Social Network. I think that. You kind of get that with people who dig in on something. They're they're it's at the expense of romanticizing something else that's probably equally yeah. worthy yeah. of satire. You know? Yeah. But the thing that's terrifying about it, because you say parallax view, and like parallax view is about a, you know, say what you will. Like Warren Beatty's kind of a is a hilarious moment where he's like, you know, practically a superhero. He's like beating the crap out of people who like would be able to take on some, you know, East Coast journalist without any problem. Yeah. Well, and the thing he's, he's up against was like that too, right? Like I remember yeah. I watched that again recently and it's so improbable. But there's also oh, the thing yeah. that the conspiracy in and that too that they're up against are these sort of, they are, they're these sort of not otherworldly, but they are a little bit surreal. They're a little bit, you know, oh, there's this group that uses this weird science fiction technique to turn you into an assassin. Okay. Okay. And it's, yeah. it's a metaphor for us. That's fine. I'm watching network and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Robert, Robert Duvall is, there's nothing weird or surreal or out of this world about Robert Duvall. He's just sitting yeah. there going, man, I guess we got to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's terrifying. That's so yeah. much more frightening. And Faye Dunaway is a great lady Macbeth. I mean, she, uh, she's, just ferocious in that film without being Man. cliche. Yeah. 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 That's I haven't even talked about Ned Beatty. I know who is, you know, <laughs> the, the, great, the one everyone remembers now. The greatest yeah. scene in his career. The most off quoted <laughs> of all. Yeah. Yes. Um, Actually, you know, if you watch, if you were to take two scenes of his and show that one first and then show the other one he's noted for, you might actually watch the second one and go, yeah, he's got that coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, talk about a great character actor. I mean, the difference in performance. Yeah. You're speaking ill of the Ned. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is next, sir? Okay, what's next is Brazil. Uh, uh, Gillian's yes. 1985 movie, which I would say after Modern Times is the most obvious cog in the machine movie uh, of Modern Times. If Probably. Yeah. It's, um, it was made in 85, which would have been, you know, after life of brian after meaning of life um i guess right after meaning of life and the yeah. python crew is still kind of together it has it feels very gilliam but it feels you can feel terry jones in there you can feel kind of the gang in a way um i love this movie so much it's an interesting thing is i saw it in i was in london when it opened and i saw it and i came home and i told i was you know coming out of i was at nyu film school i was telling, oh my god it's the greatest movie of all time you're gonna flip out 
And it finally got to the States and they saw it and they were like, that was terrible. What are you talking about? Oh, no. They released, I don't know if you guys remember, they released some bastardized version of it here. Yeah, no, it was the, the Sid Scheinberg. Uh, did they ever release I thought they didn't release no, they, it. No, he did. He That's the version that came out. Yeah. It's, it it's has a different ending. It has, it's, 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 it's shorter. It's, 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 it's recut. It's the recut version. Yeah, but, the original, it, no, but it's not that it wasn't the first release over here because the first I, mean, I saw it opening day and it was the version we all love. I thought the Sid Seinberg Scheinberg thing just showed on TV. No, I don't think it got to the states in the original version. I mean, the, my friends saw it like opening week and were like, I mean, people like the movie still, but it wasn't the film I had seen in the UK. So I don't no. know. We'd have we should we should dig in and yeah, find I gotta look at it because that's that's but yeah. yeah, I mean it's a it's an amazing film. I love that like on the Blu-ray and all the, the Criterion stuff, he always includes the Sid Scheinberg cut. And you know that Gilliam's happy for you to see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I love it. It's it's a you know, it's a you have to sort of be a fan of Gilliam, sort of just follow me and I'll take you somewhere that will kind of work and kind of work, won't, but you'll be happy you went. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Price, who is one of my favorite actors, is amazing in it. De Niro's in it. A bunch of great people. But uh, it is just a great look at a very, you know, I, I like that it sort of turns some of the cliches of that world, of Brave New World in 1984, uh, kind of on their head and and turns them into sort of nightmare scapes in a very inventive way. It looks at the technology era in a very analog way, which is very imaginative, but also helps you understand what's wrong with the technology era. Um, I think it's a great movie. And I think it's one that will stand the test of time because of its, it's, you know, it's speaking to things that were about to really explode in, in, you know, in the world in terms of, of, of us being sort of log jammed into technology communities and what that would do <laughs> to people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it is just, it's a miracle. It's such an incredible film. Yeah. I remember it was so weird at the time to see like someone like De Niro pop up for like two minutes in, yeah. in like it's all he is. He's saying it's like a Python esque kind of cameo. It's a very Python esque movie. Like I almost yeah. chose Life of Brian because that in a way is also a cog in the machine, you know? Sure. Um, but, uh, but I just love Brazil so much and I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. And uh, uh, it's, it's just, a, you know, it's just such, and it has a great, dystopian ending of just, you know, I'm just going to go into my imagination because the real world is, is unendurable. Yeah. Um, which is also pretty great. Uh, okay. The last one I've got up is, is so as not to seem like I, I haven't watched a movie in 25 years, um, <laughs> which is kind of true, uh, is, uh, Cronenberg's crime of the future was, which is one of my favorite movies of the last decade. Um, really? Okay. I, I have been anxiously awaiting it. I did not know whether I was going to like it or not. I love him sometimes. I don't like him sometimes, but I am generally an Uber fan. Um, uh, and I'm deeply invested in sort of his examination of culture going all the way back to the beginning of his career. Um, I love Ballard. I love, you know, Burgess. I love writers like that. And Cronenberg is sort of in line with that sort of legacy, I think, of, of thinkers and storytellers. And... Um, I was absolutely blown away by this film. I thought it was incredible and overdue and hyper-modern, but also speaking to the times and speaking to bureaucracy and trying to find yourself within society um, at a time when we've kind of lost an understanding of what it even means to be human anymore. Um, and that's why I think it's deserving of a place. And also, um, you know, I hate to say misunderstood because it sounds snobby, like, oh, people didn't get the film or whatever. But I think that it, 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 it will grow on folks as time goes by, like a lot of Kubrick movies do, because I just think it's speaking to, to issues that are going on now that 
people haven't even totally wrapped their heads around in a way yet. And hmm. um, so it's a big, a big, a big thumbs up from me on on this film as far as looking at cog in the human societal existential machine. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say something terrible. I guess I have to see it now. <laughs> I have not. Have you seen it, Joe? No, because it didn't make much of a ripple. I don't it's even, really hard to watch movies. I don't remember where I I would have seen it. It played for like a week yeah, or two. It's very hard to watch movies. It's like it's like what just happened with the Fletch movie. It's like it's just hard to watch them. You can tell someone like, oh, I really want to see it. Like, well, you can. It's out. They're like, where? I have no idea. It's just really and then it's gone. Like Walter yeah. Hill's new movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, but I think it's but but yeah, I yeah, God, come on, don't we all? I mean, we're old enough to remember, don't you know, like miss the Friday LA Times and you'd pull out the calendar section, you'd see all the movies that had just opened and you'd figure out which ones you were gonna now. Yeah, but they don't they they don't do that kind of journalism anymore. No, I don't. I'm just talking about the ads, you know. It would be yeah, like, they don't do that kind of movies anymore. <laughs> they don't cut that in newspaper. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, yeah. I missed it for the, the the brief period it was in, in uh, theaters, and it's not the kind of movie that my wife would watch with me, and I have a friend who's going to come over and watch it with me, but we keep not being able to connect, and I feel incredibly guilty because um, I do get asked from time to time when I thought of the new Cronenberg film, and it's like... I'm, so um, what's it what's it streaming on? Uh, I, I don't know the internet. I think I, I think I bought it on Apple I, TV. I type in I type in crimes of the future on my Apple TV. It takes me to it. I think I still have to rent it. It'll take you to the old one. You can yeah, rent it for, exactly. Uh, this person went on Apple for something yeah. or other. So it's probably it's probably on Amazon. I, I bought it on Apple. I'm pretty sure. Um, and yeah. uh, it, you know, it's very. It it really harkens back to a lot of the other stuff on on this list. Anyway, it gets into a lot of you know Ballardian stuff, which he's in Burgess stuff, and and uh. Our, Christine, Christine Stewart plays the bureaucrat, which is interesting. She's sort of the wheedling bureaucrat in, in, in this system. Um, and it's just a very interesting look at sort of what it means to be a, an emancipated human being. Like, yeah. that's what, you know, that's what is at the heart of network. That's what that's at the heart of modern times. Like, a lot of these films have been about sort of a human being trying to emancipate and become free. And Cronenberg being Cronenberg is like, okay, well, let's actually unpack what that would mean. And it's very interesting <laughs> and not exactly what you would expect. And um, I think very prescient in a lot of ways in terms of we're going to have to rethink what it even means to be a human being, much less an emancipated or liberated from the machine human being. I think that's why it's going to stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I just, it's, it's embarrassing. Um, no, it's, it's the times though. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you have to really work your, your butt off to see movies now. You just do. Yeah. You do. You have to find them. You have to have somebody recommend them. Uh, you have to yeah. have them curated for you because there's so much to choose from and, and the stuff comes and goes so fast. With yeah. Often no, no notice, no advertising. Yeah. No just dumped, yeah, yeah. dumped into, onto a platform or dumped into maybe into a theater and then onto a platform. But just and it makes you wonder how the people who invest in these movies think they're going to ever make their money. Or how they do. I don't know if they are. <laughs> are they making? Yeah. I have, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to understand the model, the financial model there. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I did. I actually had a great, uh, I haven't even told you this, Joe. I, I went to see the, they showed RRR at the Beyond Fest, um, which is a movie we'd seen on Netflix. Oh, you, did you say you sent me a video of yes, the audience I video. dancing I, in front I, of the yeah, screen? One of the most amazing experiences I ever had in a movie theater at that thing. Um, it was just, it was, it was like being at a great rock concert. Uh, people were dancing in front of the screen and losing their minds. And I was like, oh God, I forgot how great it is to go to movie theaters. But you know, yeah. it's not always like that. 
but I have this kind of I have this Pollyanna-ish belief that they will swing back on a level because it's it's it is such a an immersive human experience, but it's not there's no evidence for that at the moment. So no, no, they have to they have to make it easier for us to go. Yeah. You know, I, I I will say it a couple of years ago, uh, Joe's movie The Burbs came out on a British Blu-ray and. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I got it and I, I watched it at home. I think we watched it again. I was like, yeah, all right. It's, it's not one of my favorite Joe Dante movies. And, um, we recently, there was a screening of it uh, at the American Cinematheque a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and it was a packed house mm-hmm. and you sort of forget that, uh, oh yeah. Like, you know, obviously That's how terrible movie is supposed to work. Anything. But you know? yeah, watching it with a crowd, I was like, there were lines in that movie that had me just stone faced and scenes when I was watching a video that had me weeping with laughter. When I, when I like, saw when I saw the Marx Brothers uh, Day of the Races at in, yeah. at, at the um, at the art house in and uh, wherever I was going to uh, summer camp uh, in upstate New York, and uh, it was it was packed, and there people were they were laughing so hard that they literally had to get up and leave because they were gasping, right? So yeah. then I said, well, these movies, it was that day of the races. And I, I said, these movies are so great. I can't wait to show them to my friends. So I went back to Philadelphia and they were playing at a, at a dive theater underneath a, a, an L. And uh, there were like four people in the theater. And yeah. of course, these movies just sat there because, you know, the Marxes used to take their stuff out on the road and leave spaces where they knew the laughs would be. So when you watch them without an audience, they just, they just sit there. And yeah. the, 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 the whole reason that my generation, at least, w- became movie fans was because we saw them with an audience. We saw it, we had it, we shared a communal experience. It wasn't like we just watched it on our computer and talked, talked about how good the lighting was. I mean, these were, these were events that not only was it an event, you had to go somewhere, you had to get your car, you had to pay your money, you had to go, take some time out of your life to do it. You didn't just have to press a button. And, and look for little squares on Netflix to see what you want to watch. And it, it, I don't think the experience means as much now as it used to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has more cultural weight and, and more of a visceral weight when you see it within you do it together. I will say this and not to, um, and I, uh, we had Ed Solomon on a while back. Oh, yay. Say, to say this to him. I know you guys were, it could not possibly have been thrilled with um, how the world forced the release of the last Bill and Ted movie. But I got to say the timing of that. Uh, the way we saw it in, you know, it was just sort of that peak of like, oh my God, is this ever going to end? Is anything ever going to be good again? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I loved it in a way that I think I would have, I would have loved it in a very different way to theater, but it just meant so much to see that in that circumstance. It somehow was like, oh, we might get out of this alive. Yeah. The right movie at the right time. For that reason, I think it was the right, it was the right move. You know, we were a very little movie. We would have had a very little marketing campaign. And we, if we'd have been stuck on the tarmac for two years, we would have been buried by every other movie. Yeah. Um, and we had really had to make that decision. But so many people have come up to me and told me how meaningful the film was for them at that time because of yeah. COVID, because of the political situation and everything was just so bleak. And uh having sort of this this respite. Uh, that makes me happy. I mean, look, I'll say this, you know, you want at the end of the day, you want the perfect forum for your work, but you also want your work to be seen. And yeah. uh, we got to find a way forward, right? Like if it's not going to be back to the theaters, how do we get the work to be seen? And I think that's really kind of more the conundrum than anything else right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. We're just all cogs in the machine. Oh, he beat me to it. He beat me to it. <laughs> I did it. I brought us back to the habit. <laughs> well done, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for keeping us on point. Oh, God. He beat me to it by five seconds. Oh, That's stop. So Thanks. Thank you, Alex, for coming. Alex, thank you so much for coming. Really this is a you. blast. Um, you've got a new one coming up. Is that correct? YouTube yeah, I have a film soon? about being a cog in the machine called The YouTube Effect that is a very intense look at Google and the largest tech platforms on the planet and what the implications therein. And they're also the largest media platform on the planet by an order of magnitude. So that is uh, very much a movie about where we are culturally and, and what it's doing to us for good and ill. Um, and when's that? So it doesn't have a laugh track. It's a, it, it is not the, the happiest, funniest movie you will watch. Uh, it, but it is, it's not, it's not all a takedown either by any means. It's looking at the whole, all sides. Uh, yeah. It'll be out in uh, early in January, late January, early February. We're 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 Great. dealing with our distributor now and locking our release date, so it's soon. It'll be soon. Great. Wonderful. All yeah. right. Well, thank. Look forward you. to um, it. Great. Yeah, look forward to that. And thank you so much for doing this, man. Let's it was go. great. Great to be on. Thanks for asking me. Thanks, Alex. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.